Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Matt Croger. I'm Jeremy Duvall. I'm Alex Coos. And I'm Steve Hildrew. Welcome to Countercharge. So we are back for our round four call to arms catch up the three noble musketeers and also Matt Croger. So that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired early. Yeah, you're basically your dog Tanyan. Sorry, I don't know how to tell you that. Yeah, so we uh, we um, once again had a, a. None of us played each other for once, which makes a, a, a refreshing Shocking, change. Right? Yeah. I know. We out of the 143 people, we managed to not play each other, or how many? However many it is now 140. It's down to I think it's had some dropouts. So I faced off against Nick Murray. And one of the, this is actually a really, really great thing about this tournament because you get to play people that you would under no circumstances have the chance to play normally, right? So there is no way I would either meet or, or get to play Nick. And Nick was your, your round one opponent, right, Jeremy? He was the guy that um, basically he, he Morgothed you off the board, right? Yes, yeah. So Nick is, uh, plays out of the Reno area. Cool guy. Yeah, so uh, they're sort of within the West region, so kind of semi-local to me but yeah solid player with a good list what was the mission for this round steve it was push push with two tokens so one in the middle two tokens each nick he contacted me because he's an undead player because uh, apparently he likes to play the easy game uh so but i have to say he's a super super guy i really like him you know when you meet someone and you just chat through and you you just get on I'm really glad I got the chance to play him because he was just really fantastic, even though he was playing undead. So he contacted me before the game. And he's like, hey, hey, so um, did you want me to play like with the new FAQ or not? I'm like, yes, 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 I do. Yes, I do. Absolutely. The new FAQ. I'm all about it. 100%. So he bought an undead list without Morgoth in it, which I thought was pretty funny. So he said he was going without the Morgoth crutch. And you may think, oh, that means that you, know, you faced a, a nice, easy, fluffy like a an easier undead list and uh, you would be wrong so he he bought uh, let's see what he got here so he had to start off with three regiments of zombies a horde of revenants two soul reaver infantry uh, regiments a couple of death pack uh two hordes of whites one with caterpillar one with striding because that's what whites need right to be more deadly uh vampire and pegasus with lightning bolt a rev king on undead great flying worm with a brew of sharpness and then two necromancers, uh, one of which he'd uh, given inspiring and heal, and the other one he'd taken surge off and given him heal and bane chant. So basically, he's bought a grind list with so many hammers and so much chaff. And I was looking at this and thinking, hmm, hmm, that's uh, that's interesting because you know two hordes of whites is bad enough, but also a vampire and also a sharpness rev king. So that's hitting on three. So I was like, ah, oh, this is going to be pain. So. I was uh, I bought Sylvan King, which is a list that I've kind of basically only just written, um, but I played a couple of games with it. And I really liked it. I kind of I really like my list. Um, and I thought I had a plan, so it's quite a simple list because I've worked out that I'm a simple person and I can only really play Hammer and Anvil lists. So my list was it's three hordes of, sh- of shamblers, uh, two tree herders, one of which is the Wiltfather with the Sacred Horn, um, and that's kind of my 
Anvil, right? And there's an Archmage that kind of goes with along with them with an Inspiring Talisman, Bane Chant, Lightning Bolt. And then I've got a Regiment of Forest Guard to hold my tokens or do whatever, sit in the back. And then I've got two troops of uh, Gurpanthers, Stormwind Cavalry, two of them, one with sharpness, one with strength. And then I've got Elric Nizlin, who is the, he's like the special character. And he's kind of, he speeds seven, he hits on twos with six attacks. And he's got a shattering firebolt, shat fireball. Uh, and the reason I'm taking him rather than the king, the king, which is basically exactly the same but faster, is because I've got the model and I've actually painted the model. <laughs> so I have my like, well, I've got this guy, so I'm going to take him in my list. So the plan, my plan was, you know, sacrifice everything and then distract him and, and carry my tokens on the forest guard. So I figured, you know, two defense six tree herders, three shamblers, that's quite a lot to chew through. Storm and cavalry are annoyingly hard to get rid of, especially if you screen them with Gurpanthers. So just um, use those two elements and then sneak the Sylvan, the, the forest guard down the side. So I thought this was a decent enough plan. But then I was facing off against two hordes of whites, uh, a hitty dragon, vampire, and all the chaff. And then two, what are they called? Sorry, for infantry. So the way we set up, so we had a, quite an open board. There was a hill right in the middle on either side and then the forest on either side. So that's kind of not great for me because what I need to do is get my stuff, because my stuff will scouts onto the tokens and then back up. So he spread out his, his forces quite a lot and he put his revenants with his tokens right on the left flank. And then everything else was kind of towards the middle and the side. And I was like, that's actually pretty cool. I'm down with that because I, could put, I put my cavalry on that side against him. So I thought, actually, I can kind of, and the forest guard with the cavalry behind them. So I can kind of punch through and just use delaying tactics all on the other side. So I kind of had a plan. I, I scouted forward, grabbed the tokens, all that kind of stuff. And I've been playing Twilight King a lot recently, <laughs> which you have to be really aggressive and punchy and push forward. And I kind of was in that mindset. So he moved all his zombies up with the with the sorry room tree behind. And I kind of, I went straight into them. Um, I took one horde of shamblers and the Wiltfather right into the one of the zombies because I figured that whatever he brings, the Wiltfather can probably take. And so I wiped those zombies off and I and I looked at the positioning and his vampire had a flank on both the Wiltfather and the shamblers. And I thought, yeah, I can actually get out of that flank by just running forward a little bit. And I ran and I rolled a five on the Wiltfather, which ran him forward right into one of the um, Soul River Infantry, who then flanked me on the next turn. And that's not something a Wiltfather can say. And the funny thing was, he, he took it as a front. And I kind of looked at that and I thought, how nice am I? Uh, on a scale of one to nice, how nice am I? Do I do I tell him that he should have taken the flank? And I ended up telling him, and he, he took my walk farther off in like turn two. So that wasn't very nice. And so the game kind of played out, and I, I, I couldn't quite back up the shamblers quite. So all his whites were kind of coming forwards, and all his chaff was going into my shamblers, and it was looking really gross. And then on the left flank, I got my I got uh, a Gurpanther into the Revenants, who were just kind of stuck in the woods. And I managed, and he took his... Uh, his sharpness worm into one of the storm and cavalry and did zero wounds which was spectacular because that meant that i was coming back on him and they were brew of strength ones as well so i had 16 attacks on threes and twos and i put elric into the side as well and killed his dragon so that was fantastic and it was like kind of going and my storm and cavalry were lasting a lot longer than they should have done and all the time my forest guard were kind of sneaking around the edge of the forest down the left hand side just kind of like don't, 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 don't mind us don't mind us we're fine we're just kind of wandering down here speed five it's all fine it's all fine and um it, it wasn't going well so everything was kind of getting wiped out um, i didn't have a lot left and it got down to like turn four five in fact it was turn five and uh, my final storming cavalry died to a dual charge by the revenants they counter charged them because he also messed up there he overran his revenants once he killed my girl panthers and gave me a flank 
and I just missed the nerve roll to kill them with a flank and, and the sharpness storming cavalry, and that was a bit gutting. Um, so anyway, he got to counter charge there, and he took his uh, soul reavers into me as well. So he wiped off my storming cavalry, and then the forest guard, I realized I hadn't managed to sneak quite far enough. So all I could do is just kind of turn and take that charge. Uh, so I dropped the tokens, and I turned around and said, come on then, turn five, you might as well finish me off. There's not a lot left on the board. And he comes into me, and he double ones, right? So he double ones, which was, and it was just like insane, because I had three units left. He'd literally wiped everything apart from one tree herder, the mage who was kind of sitting there going, hi, with all this stuff facing him, and my uh, forest guard on the left. And his revenants had 18 wounds on them by this point. And they're a dash 24, 17, 18 wounds. He, he managed to heal like one or two. He failed all of his bane chance the entire game. It was hilarious. So he double won. And I realized the way he'd got his, he had both Soul Reaver infantries that on that side. But actually, because I was now, I was devastated. I could counter charge the revenants, which shifted me way up the board into, back into my half with my tokens. But if I killed the revenants and then sidestepped, he wouldn't be able to see me. And unexpectedly, I'd have four tokens <laughs> and he wouldn't be able to charge me on turn six. And I would completely unjustly win the game. And he was and he was just he went very, very quiet on the on the on the discord call. He was like, oh, and like that. you realize I can win now. And he's like, oh, and I rolled it and I did enough damage. I took him up to like um, 19 wounds. I think I did one wound. Right. And I needed a five, and he had no inspiring near it as well, because this was completely unexpected. I needed a five to kill them and a, a sidestep, and then no turn seven, I would win the game. And I rolled a three. I rolled a three, boys. I rolled a three. Uh, and then he killed everything apart from the mage, who ended up wavered on turn seven. So that's that's my story. I got undeaded. But it was really close, and it was really exciting. It was it was really, really fun. But uh, man, what into the game. These little forest guys like that. We will be victorious. And then they got they got killed by lots of vampires. So yeah, that was my game, and I lost twenty five seven. Well, I mean, it sounds <laughs> like it was close right at the end, right? Which after you said you you had made that one mistake with the wolf father or whatever, so that was must have been nice to still be like in the game there at the right. end and have it still be that close. That was no, it was excellent. It was an excellent game. We had we it was really fun as well. We, it was really fast as well. It was under two hours, um, just because we just kind of like playing really quickly and there wasn't a lot of different things you could do but my plan kind of worked it nearly worked i just needed the storm in to hold like one more turn against the things that were charging them but 25 attacks even on fours it's just 14 16 nerve wasn't quite enough so I, a couple of silly things that i did but yeah and he made mistakes too so yeah crazy crazy game but you know with this army you just have to sacrifice that anvil and hope that your hammers do what they can do and then and, and get through but it nearly worked nearly worked it was been really fun I think push creates some interesting strategies because you got to like get close to the enemy, but you don't really want to engage with the token carrying unit most of the time. So it's like you have to get close, but not too close. I, I think you're exactly right, Alex. I think the theme you're going to see as we talk about all our games, plus if you've been watching any of the streams, push is one of those scenarios that at the end of the game, the most wonky, crazy stuff can happen. <laughs> so you know what i mean so where you're just like one dice a roll away or whatever so it is definitely one of those scenarios where it can cut really come down to the wire and i think some of the reason for that is because you rarely ever see people split their tokens right yeah. so usually you've just got this one carrying unit and everyone's going ballistic for each other trying to get the other unit their opponent's unit at the end of the game it's like the scene in the two towers with the the one orc has the bomb and he's running. 
And then everyone's shooting at it, and he's just like, I've got to get to the wall. And plus, I did get some sweet revenge, because that little mage who was standing... he. He um he moved his zombies who had a token. They had the center tokens. They're taking it off my shamblers. He moved them up to an inch, and he's like, "Well, I'll search the zombies." And I was like, "That, yeah, you can't search because you're holding a token." He was like, "Damn!" And that mage kind of looked at these zombies one inch from him and went, "No, thank you." Walked over, lightning bolted twenty four inches, and killed the revenants um, <laughs> that had the tokens oh. on on turn six. So at least I got that sweet re- on turn seven rather. So at least I got that sweet revenge. But then obviously he just walked his vampires onto the tokens and picked them all up. So Croger. How was your match? That looked. I, I came into the end of your match and it looked really <laughs> fun. I think we had the most enjoyable of all of our battles. Who, who, who are you playing? I got to play uh, Adam Pad- Padling, and oh, let's yes. just let's just say it was very early morning for me, but I wouldn't have been able to see the sun anyway. I was definitely fighting in the shade. <laughs> uh, so I'll run, I'll run through his list. Uh, for those of you that have read the Northern Kings article, that's what he brought. He brought six regiments of. Uh, so he was playing Kingdoms of Men, so six regiments of bowmen, three hordes of bowmen, so that's 120 shots just there, uh, three siege artillery, three cannons, which in the game I found out when I was standing in front of them that I'd failed to realise they don't have indirect. <laughs> a general on wing beast, an army standard bearer, hero on pegasus, a, wiz- a mounted wizard with the boomstick, uh, he'd swapped lightning bolt for fireball. Two wizards on pegs, both swapping lightning bolt for fireball. So it came to, he had unit strength 25 and a total of 21 drops. Um, I still played my Order of the Green Lady. For a, for a while, I did consider uh, writing a counter list because <clears throat> I, w- I was aware he was going to play Kingdoms of Men. And when he said he was going to play Kingdoms of Men about a week ago, I automatically thought, well, it's Adam Padley. There'll be six war machines. And then I saw his article. I was like, okay, it's going to be worse than that. I decided still to go with a tweak on my Green Lady list. So two regiments of men-at-arms, two hordes of men-at-arms, two regiments of Order Redemption, one with Sharpness, one with Caterpillar, a horde of the Order of the Forsaken with the Brew of Strength and the Vial of Sacred Water, two Beasts of Nature with seven attacks, two Pegasi, uh, a mounted druid with Bane Chant and Shroud of the Saint, and a winged unicorn with the loot of Insatiable Darkness. So there's not much to say about this game, really, except that every time I poke something out, it got shot to death. I can't say that I've ever played a, a list like this before, uh, which is part of the problem, I think. If I had my time again, you're probably just better off driving everything forward at once because what I tried to do was tried to um, conserve what I felt was important but war machines can basically just see everything so like the beast of nature don't really unless you've got them directly behind a forest or a or a piece of um uh what do you call it impassable then you know they can be seen over hills so it makes it really hard to position and when he's literally covering the board from left to right with bow shots he essentially had one set of war machines facing slightly one way and one facing slightly the other um it's just hard to go anywhere we had a discussion at the end of the game basically the the decision i took was i stuck my two tokens on a unit of men at arms so one of the regiments and i just hit it in the back corner the whole game so from the start of the game i thought well i'm just going to conserve those two um, it was my feeling with the Northern Kings scoring system that the maximum bonus was five anyway. 
um, and you only need three tokens to win the game. So if I can serve those and either just fight for one or try and get his, then I've got the win and then the maximum five doesn't really, as it is, doesn't encourage you too much to push it across. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's not much to say. We just went basically every time I, I did move something slightly forward, it would go off. I think one one time where I tried to position my order of Forsaken, um, I left them till late game, hid them for most of the game and then started to push them forward. Then I got five out of six shots of siege artillery hit <laughs> and took it off in one turn. I did have maybe a potential shot on his unit carrying tokens because he did try and get them across um, towards the end of the game on a unit of bowmen. But in the end, because he had just so many units, he was able to just, when it looked like I might have a shot on them in the last turn with the Redemption Knights, he's able to just drop the tokens walk in pick them up with something else and and block up with his um with his characters so i don't know i mean i, I started the game feeling like i had no chance i kind of felt i kind of adam i mean adam adam's fine to play there's nothing wrong with adam at all and he's he's very friendly to play and he enjoys playing those lists but i can't imagine that many people would enjoy playing against those kind of lists um i certainly think it is it is beatable but like when you're just playing against that that many shots i just i just don't think there's there's a hell of a lot that a lot of lists can do we we had a chat so the left hand side of the board i think it was um epic dwarf map 12 we played for memory um had a hill and a piece of impassable which is where i'd hidden my tokens and we had a chat at the end of the game and he said oh look turn you know turn five or six you could have um started pushing those forward but I would have needed two turns to get across and once I got up on the hill, which was on my side of the board, I just would have been a sitting duck to be picked off in one turn, I think. So I don't think it would have been a viable tactic to try and win the game. But yeah, yeah like I said, if I'd pushed everything forward, I, I might have had a chance, but otherwise not. And it's not like there's anything particularly, like nothing individually in that army is OP. It's literally just the amount of shots and the amount of war machines it can take. I think the problem with all, one of the big problems with all shooting armies is if they get that spike up on the dice roll, like the five out of six shots hitting, then it can just take so much off in a turn and basically just finish your game. Like, yes, you can get the spike down, but um, most of the time you're going to recover from that when you've got so many units. But, yeah, so in the end, I think, I mean, I managed to keep those two tokens. I didn't kill much. He killed he shot off about 1,600 points and it ended up something like a 22-8 or something, I think. So it's, worth, it's worth noting that, um, you know, when Adam won the UK Masters, he won with a list just like this, but goblins. So he is incredibly experienced at playing these lists, which really yeah. helps. And, you know, he said that, you know, that there's two ways to beat that list, one of which is to, to like you say, play the scenario and use terrain, which is very, very difficult. And the other way is to literally roll up and just roll through one side because if you manage to get them turning as soon as they start moving they're hitting on sixes and it's 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 a much less deadly army particularly if you're out if you've got some terrain between you and the war machines but that's that's easier said than done isn't it well i think i think with the war machines because they just reach the whole board when you've got six of them you've got the whole board covered and like i said it's you know unless you pick the right side i think i picked the right side but you know not even my beast if you want to try and push forward just nothing has cover at that point you know so it just makes it even more difficult when you when you've got stuff that's height four you, you just can't hide so so your lesson here is just next time take night stalkers or <laughs> next time next time i'm gonna go play in a mud puddle and just build a list to beat it 
exactly. <laughs> if someone's going to play dirty against you, play dirty. You take that. Yeah. Um, what was the stealthy mounted sons of Corgan list? Take to all stealthy mounted sons of Corgan and just blow through his was entire army, right? Yeah. Yeah. Next time, next time, stop being so nice, man. Jeez, he doesn't mind. <laughs> I'm sorry you had to go through that, but there you go. Well, that's the thing with a tournament like this where everyone gets to choose their list every game. I feel like. Sometimes, like in a in a full weekend tournament, when you have to use the whole list all weekend, it uh, you create you know there's challenges you're going to face, but then those lists that are like skew lists are going to fa- also face challenges. But if you if you know what you're going to face or like the the scenario, you can kind of just like well this will do well for this scenario, and you can just kind of do it as a one off. But for those of us who want to just use one list and kind of practice with it, it's a, it's not as it's a bit of a hamstring of yourself in some ways. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I kind of think so. Unless you like, how likely are you to run into a hard counter with a list like this, though? Because I mean, it's so good at scenario play as well, because mm-hmm. of how many drops it has. I mean, it obviously can do well across multiple tournaments, because like um, Steve said, um, Adam won with a very similar list, and I think before version three, it was a it was Keith Randall's thing there in the US, wasn't it? And he used to do very well. So yeah, and Jeff um, O'Neill, yeah, Jeff O'Neill mm-hmm. had the gob- the goblin list with all the spitters. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a it's a solid solid archetype. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, not really fun. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the question, right? Did you, and they always say is like an argument against that sort of list is that it's not fun to your opponent. Did you have fun in the game? Oh look, no, I didn't really. You know, I didn't. I did, because I just felt from the start, which is part of it is, in, like I said, is inexperience playing that list. But I, I didn't feel like it was particularly fun. But that had nothing to do. That was completely on the list. You know, Adam was not. You know, was not not nice to play at all. And we chatted away. You know, I just we chatted away as my things were disappearing. Um, yeah. And like I see, Steve's been arguing with people online again, haven't you, Stephen? About hey, um, you know well, about yeah. about, <laughs> about what's fun. You know, is your is your opponent's like? Is, should it be part of the game that you're considering your opponent's fun? I don't I don't know. Like Adam really enjoys playing those lists. So, but you know, I I didn't find it particularly fun. No. Yeah, when you have a heavy shooting list, it is a slightly less interactive style of game for your opponent. And then mm. that's just the reality of it. Like it's just you get to. There's less involved. Like when you have a melee focused army facing each other, there's a lot more positioning. I feel like, and people feel like they have a bit more control over the game. I thought Sam Sam Saudan Garcia had a really interesting point in in that. It wasn't an argument. It was a discussion, um, <laughs> which was which was that you know you go into that game like you said you, you didn't expect to win, right? And you you walked in and thought I'm, I, there's no way I can win here. Right. Mm. And and he and his point was, now let me find the point. He said, that's the thing. People people decide beforehand not to have fun. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I've had great games against Dickless and terrible games against Softlids. It's irrelevant. Right. So I, I yeah. get that point of view. But then Sam plays mm. in Spain where they where Dickless are just, you know, it's absolutely par for the course. They just take the most powerful things they can and and they still have fun with it. So I think it's very much about the scene you normally play in. And we've talked before, haven't we, about how Australia is actually it's quite a nice people don't tend to take lists like this because they want their parents to have fun and they think about that. I think also too there's a difference between 
between really hard lists and then the all shooting, like like um, Alex said, it's a very particular archetype. You know, I don't mind playing hard lists at all. Um, you know, in version two, you used to regularly play against three flying archfiends and things like that. But I think when you've got that combat element, you still feel like you've got more than a chance. Whereas if you're trying to push forward and you're kind of just getting deleted as you go across the table, I think it's a completely different experience. I think you bring up a good point. And I think the other point too is like a valid one, which is like your mindset and the mindset you create has so much power over an agency, over your emotions and like a, your daily life. So I think there is something to be said about what's the mindset you have going into the, into a game. And I totally get the idea of where sort of the undynamic nature of I move up, you shoot me and I die. Um, on the other hand, there is, I think, some stuff if you can be like, okay, well, I'm going to use this game as, a, as an opportunity to try to get better at fully utilizing terrain. So that's try to, what I try to tell myself when I'm playing heavy shooty lists is like what, what, part of, what element of my game can I use this game as a, a, a learning platform to get better on? So I get what you're saying, but I do like that idea. That's a good uh, uh, comment to bring in, Steve, that, of how you try to use your mindset as most as possible, like as best as possible, to uh, either have fun in a game or at the very least let let the game be a platform for you to learn. You know, increase your skill as a player. Especially with like when you're facing lists like this with a scenario like push, it's kind of it's a good pr- practice for being like obnoxiously objective focused like i know a lot of people who go into the game like they want to kill some of the the enemy and play the objective and have a bit of a mix but i think sometimes with like a mission like push or like you can really just be hyper focused on the mission and like not even really like like you're going to kill some stuff just to accomplish your mission but you're not like putting stuff out there just to kill stuff you're actually like i'm just going to like only care about the mission and that's it and just kind of like it's a good way to practice that because that's the only way you're going to really win against a list like that. Yeah. So all in all, we agree that Crow just sucks, right? Is that, that all <laughs> so he's, he's an idiot. Okay. And I'll probably come up against that type of thing again and I will lose just as bad. Wow. Don't, don't worry, man. Hopefully we'll play each other next round and then that will be a, you know, a slap off completely. <laughs> so, so then we had people that are actually winning in the tournament and not doing too badly. So um, it's fair to say that Koos is definitely leading the field. So let's, let's go to Duval next. Jeremy, so you had a, another army chosen by the people, by your people. And what did they uh-huh. choose for you this round? So they chose for me this round the Order of the Green Lady or the Lady Bros, as they say. So, um, so I was playing Order of the Green Lady, which probably in all of the armies that's got picked for me, this is the one that is the archetype I'm most, or you could build within the archetype that I'm most comfortable with, which is like speed elite type armies. So I kind of, uh, in a way, just built sort of the version of Basilea that I'm uh, building in real life right now in Order of the Green Lady with like a few tweaks. Um, so I had a horde of men-at-arm retainers with a vial of sacred water. I had a regiment of Order of the Brotherhood with sharpness and the Green Lady Pathfinder banner. Banner. I had Order of Redemption with Brew of Strength. I had two hordes of water elementals and a druid who are kind of like my you know center along with the um, retainers. I had a order a horde of Order of the Forsaken with uh, Strider. I had two Beasts of Nature with the Fly and Seven Attacks. Um, I had a Redeemer with Blade of Slashing. That's like the guy on the mounted unicorn, winged unicorn. 
Uh, and then I had a unicorn just with no wings, just prancing about with Shroud of the Saint. Um, so a list very similar to what I'm using, which is like, you know, Horde of Infantry, two regiments of knights, two hordes of large, uh, large infantry, water elementals instead of Ogre Palace Guard, Order of Forsaken, Big Elohi, uh, two beasts of nature, like some Ur Elohi. So um, I definitely felt the most comfortable with this list going in, having played something very similar for months and months. So I played against uh, Blake Robertson, who is one of Nick Murray's uh, in real life play partners. They're from the Reno area. So uh, and Blake had come last year. They had driven up to um, Bay of Kings. So it was really nice to um, get a chance to play. We didn't get to play at Bay of Kings, but it was nice this time to get a chance to play. He was playing Night Stalkers. And he's, uh, again, using kind of UB as like a way to try out new stuff. So he's in the process of building and painting a Night Stalker list. Um, so this is kind of like where he's at right there in that sort of uh, uh, list building process. He had a horde of bloodworms. He had a regiment of reapers with caterpillar, two troops of phantoms, two hordes of butchers, two mind screeches, two planner apparitions, two regiments of soul flayers and a void lurker. So kind of, you know, a little bit of everything to try stuff out. So we kind of deployed opposite each other in a way where he had his horde of bloodworms with his two tokens in his middle. And I had my horde of retainers with two tokens in my middle. And then he had flanking his bloodworms in some trees. He had uh, uh, some butchers and his reaper regiment. And then me, I had flanking my um, retainer horde, my two uh, hordes of water elementals. Um, I felt pretty good about my water elementals because at speed seven, they have a speed uh, against his reapers, bloodworms, and butchers. So basically, I had speed on all his infantry. And then I put uh, a beast of nature and order of forsaken on one flank. And then I put on the other flank my redeemer, a beast of nature. And then I sort of put my two knight regiments kind of to the right of my center line. You know, knight regiments are deceptive, they have deceptively wide arcs for line of sight so when you deploy them off center you can really control like a huge amount of board space you can control the flank and the center leaning towards their opposite side so it's like a really nice position that often people want to put knights all the way on the flank which is still good but deploying them slightly off center really uh, frees up a lot of uh, board space and what he had done um, he put his a unit of phantoms and a unit of soul flares kind of like on each side of his flanks where he had the phantoms in front of the soul flares. And on the left side, he had moved up a little bit and, um, you know, just being kind of new to UB, uh, didn't check his ranges as much as maybe his should, it should have. So on the left side, I was able to get a beast of nature and my redeemer into both his, uh, soul flares and phantoms and lock them down because sort of slightly askew of his center, he had brought his void lurker up and left it in range of my knights, my order of the brotherhood with sharpness that had pathfinder. Um, so essentially on his left side, I was able to engage on my second turn, his void lurker, his troop of phantoms and his regiment of soul flares. I got them all into combat. And my idea was, you know, break and then turn inward. And then his blood worms would basically be surrounded on all sides. Um, it took me a, an extra turn or two to kill the Void Lurker. You know, he, he had some planar apparitions backed up with all that regen. So when I charged him with my Sharpness Knights, I think I needed a five or six to kill them. 
and um, I rolled a three or four, so I couldn't get it. And then he regened and healed pretty much almost all that damage. So that meant the following turn I had to charge the Void Lurker not only again with my Sharpness Knights, but I brought in my Order of Redemption too, just because when you have a monster like that with that much regen plus backed by double planner apparitions, I had to kill it. But I was able to kind of get both those units done on that side and start turning in. On the other side, my Order of the Forsaken and a Beast of Nature took care of the the Reapers and Phantoms on that side, sort of similar to how I had done the other board half. My Water Elementals were able to get into the trees and take care of the, the Reaper Regiment and the Butcher Horde that were in there. I took care of the Bloodworms. Blake was really great, and I think this is part of... Uh, he used to play Ogres. So you really saw that when he was controlling all his mind screeches and planner apparitions of getting them in the way. You know, ogre players are really good at using their flag guys and their their characters as chaff or stop gaps or whatever. So that Blake did a really good job with that. And it came down to one of the craziest endings I think I, I've had so far in the UB tournament, which is uh, he was able to kill with his last remaining butcher horde my reg- my horde of um, retainers. So he had all three. He had three tokens. So I had the one uh, in the middle. Uh, no, so I had so there's how many? So there's two and two and then one. So there's five. Okay, so I had two, and he had three that he was able to get off my retainer horde with his butchers, right? But I knew I was going to kill the butchers because once he killed that retainer heart, I had like my whole army focused in. But I chose not to have inspiring anywhere near the middle of the board because I was so afraid of like UB double wanting me because if I snakes that butcher's horde and there's no turn seven, I lose the game. And I had killed maybe 18, 1900 of his army and he had killed maybe 250, 300 of my army. So he had ha- hardly anything left. And I was like, I can't risk losing this game on a double ones. So I moved my inspiring outside of the mind, the, uh, what's it called? Mind thirst. Yeah. Mind thirst. Yeah, out mind of the, the 12 inches, yeah. right? Yeah. So I moved my inspiring outside of the 12 inches to avoid a double ones. You know, at least if I roll, you know, not to force a reroll, I go in there, I kill the butcher regiment with my order of forsaken, which had six damage on it. So I have all the tokens. I don't roll the double one, but now my Order of the Forsaken with six damage is not inspired. So we're going into bottom of six. So he had bottom of six. So he had one he had one charge on my Order of Redemption, Order of Forsaken, sorry, with a Mind Screech. So Mind Screech has five attacks on fours and fives, right? Because no crushing. So he would have to damage the Order of Forsaken and then roll a high nerve and then either, and then roll far enough on the overrun to get on my side of the board and have there be no turn seven and he wins that game. So he charges with the mind screech into my order of forsaken five attacks hits twice, double six, two damage. So I'm at an eight. And then I'm like, Oh crap. I I start getting really, (laughs) you know, I start getting really quiet before, you know, it's, you know how it is. I mean, he's a great player. Don't get me wrong, but he's new to that army and I'm just like, you know, killing all his stuff. So at that point, I'm like, oh, man, you're doing really great. You know, okay, try doing this. Oh, I love your paint scheme. You know, work on this. And then all of a sudden, I get really quiet on the last turn because it's like, oh, my God, did I did I lose this game? Like, I was so paranoid about the double ones that I left this unit that if he kills and overruns three inches and there's no turn seven, I lose the game. So 
He does the two damage. He's sitting on an eight, so 15, 17, right? He needs a nine to kill them. Rolls a nine. They're dead. And I'm like, oh, crap. He rolls overrun. He gets a two. So he's one inch shy of being fully on my side of the board. And I'm like, and then we don't roll a turn seven. So if he had rolled a three or more on that overrun, he would have won the game. I was him, but in my game, I, I feel like <laughs> <laughs> bit of roll reversal. Exactly. It was just, it was just crazy. And I feel that I got to my when you when you're trying to become a better player, you look at like where where are your leaks? You know, where's your weakness? My weakness sometimes is I take my foot off the pedal at the end of the game if I'm in a really dominant position because I don't know I don't like people crying after they play me so like sometimes I like will take my foot off the pedal a little bit and that's one of my biggest problems so this game I tried not to do that but I think I overthought and was trying to create all these weird scenarios that if if he rolls like three double ones and then we don't have a turn seven and then the sun rises backwards then I may still lose so let me do that instead of just like playing the game but man is as, as close as it can be top top notch guy I know like Blake and Nick and a lot of those Reno guys are really working on getting their game better I know Nick has been playing with Kyle Poole on UB a lot you know they're really wanting to try to qualify for the West Masters team and really kind of like get more into the competitive scene so i think it was a great game um i'm uh, let's just say when he rolled the two and we did all the measurement and he wasn't in all of a sudden i did get more chatty and i was like man that was a close game way to go really close (laughs) had had he rolled a three on the overrun i would have been like oh yeah great game and then i would take up my headset and then just been like screaming running around my house but so i ended up getting 24 points so definitely the highest points for me but like i said man I mean, razor thin, hair thin from losing that game. But puts me in a good spot. I'm now 2-1-1 one, and one with a winning draw over Crozier, which I think about every night. Uh, which I, <laughs> I think I, about Crozier think... as well. Different though. Well, well yeah. as you know, like I, I hosted the Dash uh, 28 stream with Paige and um, Keith. And I was so tired by the end, I kept calling Keith Steve. Because you're both, they're, they're both tall, lanky, good-looking drinks of water with dark hair, I guess, and that's why I can't, I can't, I, I kept getting, I kept getting them mixed up. But if you have four hours that you want to blow, you know, watch four. that. Uh, four long. I, I I went to bed, and I think it was going to start in a couple of hours. I woke up the next morning. I thought I'd just check uh, how that went. Still going. I'm like that. Morning, everybody. <laughs> it's like what? I just love like Paige as Doctor Strange because he kept loading units in and like in UB like you do and like moving them to see where they were and it was straight up like Doctor Strange and Avengers looking at the million possible futures and then Paige had to think of the one that he needed to win so Paige as Doctor Strange is now hashtag Paige Doctor Strange is a thing so when they brought in Keith to the end of that when you brought Keith into the uh, the after chat Keith's face was a picture he was just like he looked like a man on the edge I think well, again, just the ringer the thing with that that came down to a crazy roll too where he did like 15 damage with an earth uh, elemental right. horde, and if he had picked up that unit, he would have won. So again, it would have been four hours decided in the last twenty-five seconds. So, but great game. I put up the poll uh, for my next match, and it's looking like Imperial Dwarves, which I apologize because I will be taking the most cheesiest shooting. It's round five time now, ladies and gentlemen. So I'll be taking a shooting Imperial Dwarf regiment. So if you don't want that to happen, go vote for something else. Oh, do we have to take like proper lists in the, in the final one? Oh man. 
I think I there's think, two more rounds. So yeah, two more. Six round tournament, right? Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying round five or on the home stretch. Yeah. So I yes, feel like I'm, I'm still letting you guys pick my army, but I, I feel like I, I have to make, with what you guys pick for me, the best chance for me to be successful. So Take, take three steel behemoths. Come on, go in. Yeah, it's just going to be like every unit's going to have dogs, and it's just going to be cannons and Golok, and who knows if it's any good, but I'll throw a lot of dogs at you. So go for go vote for uh, Brother Mark, because that's what Steve wants. So Yay, I love the Brother Mark. That's my next next army. But now so, let's go to like the person who's actually doing well in the tournament. Oh yeah, uh, Mr. Hughes. Why don't you tell us the name? Yeah, especially <laughs> since he's playing such a bad army. Let's let's yeah. take it away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't believe you've done well, so well. You know, with, uh, with the Iraqi slaves. It's quite impressive. I feel like just like overcoming the shortcomings of you know undead with my uh, theme list. After I, I put uh, Ghoul Ghast in my list last week against Tom Robinson, and he was one of the only things that did good work. So I kept him in the list for this one, and I used mostly the same thing, but I took out the Wraiths and added Revenant Cavalry uh, Regiment and downgraded the Revenant King on Worm to a Undead Pegasus, uh, a Vampire and Undead Pegasus. So my list was Horde of Zombies, two regiments of soul reaver infantry one with elite one with pathfinder two hordes of whites one with haste and this week i added sharpness to the other one and three troops of revenant cav and one regiment of revenant cav with the boots of striding then i had a necromancer with Banechant and Surge Inspiring Talisman, a Revenant King unmounted with Surge and the Loot of Insatiable Darkness. Because I felt like last week I was didn't have as overpowered as Undead are. They don't want combats to go two rounds. So I was like, I'm just doubling down on adding Sharpness and Banechant just to make sure everything dies when I hit it. And then... Yeah, the Undead, uh, the Vampire and Undead Pegasus with the Meat of Madness and then the Ghoul Ghast with Wings. I was playing against Matt Goody. He's from Kent over in the UK. He's an awesome dude, super nice. We were chatting a little bit during the week uh, leading up to the game. He had played two of my local club mates, guys from uh, our local scene already in the tournament. So I was the third guy from Southern Ontario that he's got to play in this tournament, which is interesting, kind of like luck of the draw. He is playing Abyssal Dwarves. So I didn't feel too bad about taking Undead. He had a horde of Black Souls with uh, Healing Brew and Throwing Mastiff. And then three troops of Gargoyles, two regiments of Abyssal Halfbreeds, one with Boots, one with Caterpillar, two hordes of Lesser Obsidian Golems, both with the Charnox shooting upgrade, uh, two Heavy Mortars, a greater obsidian golem, two hex casters, one with inspiring talisman, both with hex in, or with weakness instead of hex, an iron caster with conjurer staff, bane chant, and surge, and then a abyssal half breed champion. So a pretty good list. Like I definitely two mortars is not you know it's not three, but it's still they still can do a lot of damage. Obsidian golems are tough. Half breeds are good, but I don't. I actually like seeing half breeds over uh, 
grotesques because defense four is great because I have a lot of crushing two across the board. The map was kind of symmetrical with like a lot a lot of the epic dwarfs. It's like they had hills on either side on the edges and then two forests just outside the deployment zones in the middle and then diagonally across from each other there was like the swamps and the buildings. So it's kind of a, a little bit of a box. I had been talking with Brindley actually during the week about tight deployment and spread out deployment. He's a big fan of spread out deployment and he was playing Tom Robinson this week. So we were kind of talking about that matchup that I had leading up to his matchup. And I thought maybe that I would try a bit more of a spread out approach because I typically weight one flank pretty heavily and just twist and sweep across the board when I play rats or herd or uh, now with undead. So I just kind of try trying a strategy outside my my comfort zone. So I deployed pretty spread out. I had Revenant Cav on one flank and then Soul Reavers with uh, red cap troop in the in front and then behind the f- middle forest I had the sharpness whites with revenant cap troop and then I had on the other side of the forest I had the zombies with soul reavers behind them and then on the other side of the building on the far flank I had the whites the vampire and the ghoul ghast so it's pretty spread out across the board I had my necromancer on the left flank and my rev king on the right flank or right side of the screen. I was on the top, so those reversed. He had, from left to right, he had his obsidian golems just centered off the building on his side, and then black souls, and then two regiments of half-breeds on his right. His mortars were in the corners, and then he had uh, gargoyles in front of them, and then his uh, half-breed champ was on the right side, too. So I had first turn, uh, both my tokens were on my Soul Reaver infantry behind the zombies on my left flank. And then his, both of his tokens were on his Black Souls. So I I moved up trying to keep uh, my Revenant Cav troops in front of my important stuff so that the mortars couldn't hit anything. Uh, My Rev Cav on on the left side moved up behind the hill so they couldn't be seen. And then I positioned my Revcav troop in front of the, the Haste Whites on an angle to threaten his half-breeds and half-breed champ, and then put my Whites and Vampire behind them so they couldn't be charged, the, the angle. He did something sneaky on his turn where he like moved his gargoyles on the right flank all the way up and like threatened the flank. So he just turned, and so I had to turn and face them while he brought up his half-breeds on that side. And then he moved his gargoyles on the left to block my Revenant Kev, and then moved everything else up. He, so on my right flank, I just pivoted my whites, and uh, I just got my Rev King in, in range to surge them into the gargoyles, where I got to take them out. And then my ghoul guest on my turn two got into his right mortar and took that out which was great but the left mortar did some damage to one of my rev cav troops and then i think the next turn he wavered my soul reaver infantry behind the elite soul reaver infantry with that mortar 
but everything else kind of just moved up. I positioned my sharpness whites in the middle so that they could threaten um, all the golems. Or if he moved his abyssal half-breeds a little too far up, they could threaten the flank of them off to the side. He moved everything up, and then I think I moved, I charged, he left his hex caster, his middle hex caster just peeking out um, between his black souls and his greater obsidian golem so that my revenant cavalry troop in the middle could charge it which they took because I didn't I didn't want to get weakness when I was facing all that deep defense six and I think it was an it was the inspiring one so I could take out the inspiring in the middle of his board or the middle of his line so I got that charge which kind of created a weird angle for him so he had he flanked me with his greater obsidian golem killed it but that put his greater obsidian golem in a weird position where my whites could charge so he positioned it so that he could he was going to take a front charge but i could eventually or position them so i could get a flank with surge and i got it with a within two inches which is about my limit, because I have surge six and surge five, so I don't usually like to make my surges more than like one or two inches. So I luckily got my sharpness whites hindered into the flank of his obsidian golem, which I don't think killed. Oh, maybe I got them in the front. No, I got them in the front. Didn't kill it. The next turn, my soul reaver infantry got the flank because this the great obsidian didn't. Uh, kill the whites on the counter charge and my other revenant cav troop had moved up and blocked the lesser obsidian golems but also that turn he killed the elite soul reaver infantry but my rev cav on the left had killed the gargoyles had moved up he had thrown another unit of gargoyles in front of them which they in turn killed and they moved up and killed the mortar and then pivoted and so like turn by turn five or six Five, they're already moving back to the middle to help deal with the golems. On the right flank, his abyssal half-breed grounded my Pegasus, but I had slowly been moving up uh, my Soul Reaver's infantry and whites on that flank. The zombies had run up to run a blocking move, and then everyone had moved up behind them. The following turn, I think he had charged one of his half breeds into the revcav troop which they had which they killed and then my whites had killed them they had moved up advanced so he had one regiment of half breeds and his black souls left on that flank and i think i that's where i got the flank charge with my haste whites i've got moved them up flanked the black souls then charged since the half-breed had charged the flank of the Pegasus, I could still charge straight forward with my Pegasus into his other half-breeds, which I knew I wasn't going to kill them, but I could delay them and stop them from charging the flank of the Whites. So I got the flank with the Whites, got de delayed the half-breeds, and then my Pathfinder Soul Reaver Infantry had dropped the tokens, and that's when they flanked the Greater Obsidian Go Golem. And after that, kind of felt I had just surrounded him. I had all the tokens, and then the last couple of turns was a few cleanup rolls to get rid of the the other obsidian golems. Overall, it, you know, going really wide with units that can one shot most things is pretty effective. You know, I know it's pretty surprising, but uh, so what you're saying is that 
if you hit him really hard with the hammers in your army in the flanks, his army dies. Is, is, that, is that the principle for... I'm just making some notes here. Hang on a second. That's my strategy. Hammers. Hit flanks. <laughs> flanks. I wish I thought of this. Yeah. This is, uh, <laughs> it's, it's with um, Abyssal Dwarves because they're so durable and punchy. You just... It needs a fast, maneuverable hammer-type army ready to take them off because otherwise they just roll over you, right? Uh, yeah, he kept on hitting me with weakness too. So I was like, I was glad that I had added the Bane Chant because it's like, he was like, going down to de- uh, crush one against defense six and you're like but that's not going to work and but i think i did a good job of we talked about this after because he has a bit of surge with his golems about how you you don't want to come at your enemy like parallel or like you know you know just line up and then they line up and just with when you have surge and you know with, with some fast hammers you don't want to just line up and run at your opponent you kind of want to set up angles so that it's like a sawtooth so that you have options and you can twist, and especially with the, the the surge rules about flanks, you can't hit them flush. Even if your leader points in the flank, you have to be there at an angle. So you have to f- come in at an angle or force them to react at an angle, so that you can set up those corner hits, like the the corner contacts. And I think that's a important thing to think about when you're deploying and when you're moving up on turn one and two. Like how are you? What's your counterattack going to be? Like, is there, are you just, you can't just go straight in. Well, with some armies you can, but with this, this kind of like that middle, middle nerve hammer style army, you can't just go straight in and just hope for the best. You have to set up charges where you know you're going to kill stuff and then either reform safely or reform to face the next threat that will have to deal with what just killed their unit and then possibly one of your other hammers. So you have to set up those, that counterplay. And did your usual tactic of slow playing turn two work? You know, to send him to sleep and then you kind of accidentally flank him and he doesn't notice? Was that the the strategy? No, actually, this this game, um, Matt will will make note. Uh, He'll back me up on this. (laughs) I was not a slow player in this game. But Matt, you know, he's he's relatively new. He started playing last year, uh, just at the end of second edition with his friends in Kent. And he was like, D- I just want to warn you, I'm a slow player. And I said, don't worry about it. I am also slow. So it was a long game, but I was totally fine. <laughs> Five and a half hours later. <laughs> yeah, I, I walked away at one point. I was watching. <laughs> I walked away and came back. I must have been an hour later. It was still turn two. And when <laughs> yeah. I started looking and I said, to, I said to Alex, is that an hour and a half turn two? And he's like, no, two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, guys, wow. My game was under two hours, the whole game. We just literally, bam, yeah. bam, 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 I'm dead. Move on. Yeah, I think Brindley and Tom, I had Brindley and Tom's game in the background on my laptop just to watch on silent. And I think they ended when like we were like on turn four or something. But, <laughs> you watch uh, somebody else's game during your game? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> That's such a I, uh, I wasn't even really paying attention and I tabled him. Anyway, move on. Cool gas is staying in the list. Uh, Matt is a great opponent. I think you know we've had each other on Facebook. I think he's, I think he's got a lot of promise. His list is really good. I think it's just you know, every, with everything, it takes a bit of practice. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of promise in the Abyssal Dwarf list, right? Yeah. Well, I think we, a lot of us watched Tom's Tom game yesterday. Tom Annis's game last night. So we all know what, what's possible with Abyssal Dwarfs. <laughs> Yeah. So um, I haven't watched that yet, but I'm, I'm going to. So let's look at the leaderboard now. So 
um, Tom Annis is no longer top. Tom Robinson is top, but there's two points between them. So I think it's going to be a Tom off, uh, almost mm. certainly in the next round. Tom, which on, Tom. Tom on Tom action. That's what I want to see. Dark's weekend look, looks pretty good. Page is still hanging around there. He's right next to Jeff Trace. So um, that's interesting. Coos is still in the top 10. He's number nine. There are still three games that could, with people who need to be played that will probably jump ahead. One, like two or three of them will jump ahead of me. So uh, Matt Young's there too. Does that mean Ogres are still good? No, no they're garbage. Our regiment on, oh, right. done a lot, so they're terrible. He said mm-hmm. them several times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> nice to see uh, Lewis Saris, uh, Ryan Munstall. You know, the names you would expect. There's a few names that I don't know, but I think that's because they're uh, Aussie players. Ben Johnson? Is he a... Uh, He's UK, UK, isn't he? Is yeah, he? yeah wow. he's a, he, he and Jeff Trace play on UB all the time. Yeah, they've almost got a running room. <laughs> like the, uh, he's been sharpened with steel, so that's good. I like to see a player like Paul Brown. He's the one oh, that yeah. play. He played uh, Kyle Peach yesterday. Oh yeah, he's the elf player, right? Yeah, that was a great game. I watched yeah, that. Yeah, he's a very good. He's another really good elf. He's a, a very underrated, as I understand it, UK player. Doesn't get to tournaments very much for various reasons. So he just. Uh, like he's like when you have like in fantasy novels, you have the greatest swordsman in the world competition, and then some some captain turns up that's been like in a, a an outpost, like just defending the outpost for years and beats everyone. That's Paul Brown. That's why I reckon. Taz Stacy, he's a Aussie player, right? Yeah, he's one of ours down here. He's doing very well, actually. I think it's just despite me now. Ever since two casts ago, I said he won't be there for long. He won't be there for long. <laughs> he's number yeah. five, by the way. So yeah. uh, take it. Um, it was nice to see him on the uh, stream um, on uh, Tom Tom Annis's stream yesterday. He was one of the commentators, so he did a good job. That kind of that's the top ten, and then we've got a few more. So Dino Lords in there, Lewis Sarah still up there. So yeah, there's a few good players. Let's just uh, so not sure who Alex is going to be up against. If it goes just pure order, it'll be uh, against Matt Young. So that'll be fun. Yeah, it's it's funny that I'm right next to Ryan Munsell because I think I've played him in every single Call to Arms at some point. <laughs> You might get traced. You never know if you're if you're. Yeah. Really well, again, I got traced last year. <laughs> so then I need to scroll down quite far to get the rest of us. So bear with me uh, while I try and find where the rest of us are. Kind That's of. Jeremy Duval's at thirty-seven. Oh, I've skipped past him. Go. He's just not noticeable. Mm-hmm. They, they're, they're working my way, working my way back up. Submarining. Yeah. Submarining. Yeah. Who's around Jeremy? Jose Vega, uh, Spanish player. Michael Clark. He's a uh, Aussie, right? Yep. Oh, and Shizunk, I don't know who he is. And then I need to scroll really far to find you and me, mate, just to, just so you know. I know, oh. and you're still well above me. We won't oh. be playing. Oh, you're God. at 73. Oh, I've scrolled past myself. 73? That's better than I thought. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. No, he's at 55. Oh, yeah, it's 73rd. Yeah, 73rd. Next to Mike yeah. Zettelmeyer. So that just goes to show that actually people are just treating this as a as a joke. Ray Shields, Mike Zettelmeyer. Well, look at, yeah, Ray Shields is right there too. And that guy's like a, a master's quality, you know, a super high level yeah. player. And I look yeah, around that's, like, that's exactly why I'm doing so badly. Yes. Mm, yeah. George Kirk, Jay yeah. Rosado. You know, there's some really side brand. These are excellent players. Um, and then all the way down. Let me just uh, keep going. <laughs> Oh, my mouse wheels come off. Oh, jeez. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to search for Crozier. 89. You're not that bad. 89's all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still away from the bottom, isn't it? We're within reach yeah. of, our, of each other, though, mate. Not being funny. Nathan Clevenger's at 91, and he's like top three masters guy, isn't he? 
Nathan is very good. Yeah, he's uh, Sons of Vulcan out of the Southeast, yeah. which is a real, which is like the Jeff O'Neill club. You know, a bunch of really uh, great players in that. So yeah, he is very good, which just shows you the uh, the depth of the field in this tournament is very high. Felix, I'm, I'm definitely twenty-one. What's gone with Felix this this tournament? Bless him. Yeah, I'm definitely the best player in my house. Well, that's that's good. Me too. Yeah. Actually, no, I'm not. My yeah, son's yeah. better than me. He's beaten me three-one yeah. so far on aggregate. Mm. You know, I'm really happy to see how well Rashad's doing. He's in seventeenth. You know, he is playing undead, but Rashad's been playing undead for years and years and years and years. So, uh, you know, well, shout out to him. Terrible, right? Yeah. So, so bad last last. It's not his fault. That's what I said. When your army's good, it's not your. You know, I mean, especially those players who've played it for years and years. I mean, it's not his fault. It's a really good <laughs> army. So <laughs> the, the oh, list is now rolling. Get on that train, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but dan king at 25 michael piercy at 24 that would be a great match piercy versus king oh, i'd love to see that that would be a fantastic game that's getting streamed yeah. if that if that happens i imagine next round looking you know a lot of people still have games to play but what are some are any like close points like obviously tom raw tom, the tom off would be good um i think an alex and matt young would be a great game just kind of looking at like what are some possible uh you know matchups that we might see next round It'd be funny if Mike Atkins and Rashad played each other because they've both been playing undead in the U.S. at a high level all year or last year. That would be that would be a great uh, a, a really interesting matchup too. Um, yeah, because they've both been playing undead. You know, well, undead's always been good. Let's let's not have crazy talk here, but they've yeah. been playing it before uh, this edition where they are very strong. Um, Todd Serpico, Josh Rosado would be an interesting game because mm-hmm. uh, t- one of Todd's first loves is Ratkin, and Josh Rosado mm-hmm. is the mad scientist of Ratkin. But Todd's been playing some Abyssals. Uh, he wrote some good articles for Dash Twenty Eight on Abyssals, so that could be an interesting. Adam Ballard, Chris I, Fisher would that's be. That's what I was thinking. Game. Yeah, Ballard yeah. and Fisher that would be a great matchup, right? Chris hasn't. Chris and Chris and Joey haven't played yet, so they're going to get jumped. One of them's going to be in the top ten after the, whoever wins. But oh, okay. uh, but Adam Padley, Patrick Zorro, Allen. Are, very, are one point apart, but that would be a good game. Yeah, and we saw like you know, uh, go USA in the Pat versus Tom Robinson. I mean, who would ever thought, guys? Come on, that we would have streaming set on so fire that not only are we streaming turn- tournament games, but we're having like exhibition matches be yeah. streamed. I mean, it's just amazing. And the list of thought- um, of what they want to do kind of after this, because I think everyone has enjoyed the streaming and the commentary so much, they don't want to stop. Once this is over, even though you know quarantine might finish and heaven forbid we might get to a little bit more normal, they kind of I think the idea is to keep going because it's so much fun, right? It's kind of replaced Saturday afternoon sports. You just sit and have these commentators. That is really good fun. Yeah, you know, it's like watching the Sunday game or whatever. It's like, oh, who's playing today? Like I have it on when I'm doing my laundry or my chores or whatever. Like how Steve, you're you're just like sports, right? You put it on and you you watch it when it gets interesting, and then you go and do something else. And you know, and it was a lot of fun to be on one of those streams. And shout out to Mike and to to Britain and all the people who are like really putting a lot of effort into making those streams as polished as possible. So hats off to you guys. I was gonna say like it's been great. Like it's great to just be a, be able to be a spectator on UB, but like having the commentary and then the chat and, and YouTube really adds a nice little element of like interaction and just the color commentary really makes the, the game go a lot smoother than just like trying to guess what everyone's doing because <laughs> they can yeah. click on the, the, the line of sight and the arcs of sight and stuff. Yeah. When you've got Brinton yeah. and, and Mike trying to make it as professional as possible, there's me and Croger in the comments trying to make it as unprofessional <laughs> as possible. <laughs> right? um, excuse me. We just sit there minding our own business, just having a good time. 
It takes all kinds, guys. We appreciate yeah, all your contributions. Mm. <laughs> just comments, rude comments from commentators generally. Every yeah. parent needs a toddler. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's nice for me, you know, Britain's my main play partner in real life. You know, we play pre-COVID, we would play every week, and he has a really great mind for the game, and he just has, like, a really great mind in general, so it's been really great to... I've been happy that the rest of the world has been able to kind of get in on the conversations that him and I have had ever since getting into Kings of War. So it's been really I, great. I really like when Ashley is commentating because yeah. you know that at some point during when she's commentating, this giant fish bowl of wine just appears like it's the size of her head. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what time of day it is. It just kind of it kind of levitates up into screen and she has to kind of tip her whole head back because it's so huge and you just think yes you are living the dream right there it's it's like 8am in Canada yeah. and you're downing a pint of wine good for you oh I was going to say I also love how one person seems to have to take the parent role on the cast all the time it's either Brinton or Mike or even you Jeremy when it starts to degenerate you know um, okay so back to the game <laughs> well I yeah I mean I was just happy that like we were able to, to, to be laughing because like you said a four hour stream that's a lot of airtime air you have to cover but again shout out to uh, you know Brenton and uh, Mo and I had some good people on my cast and it was fun it's a uh, uh, was happy to be invited to do go do that and um, looking forward to another one um, as soon as one of you if you guys get on the the thing again count me on I'm gonna be on there so I can actually talk uh, uh, give you guys praise air quotes on air <laughs> while i'm being like what's he doing why he's gonna if he doesn't whoever loses this game is off the show that's what i'm gonna say so <laughs> <laughs> so matt's gone oh what oh, <laughs> oh yeah. how bad do you want it? how bad do you want the fame that might that might actually make me put some effort in <laughs> i'm still i feel um, keen for us to have like a, a counter charge tournament except that rob Fenough refuses to do universal battle which I think is just because he's a grumpy old man. And Mark well, Slinsky, of course, is not on the show anymore anyway. Wasn't is he on the show? Does he do the show now? Wasn't or? someone going to teach Mark how to do... Yeah, I'm on, I'm on the docket next week. Okay. I think I'm going games on UB. It'll be pretty quick. I thought he's too busy, though, right? Because uh, Mark's only likes 500 point games. <laughs> yeah, 500 point games. It's still going to take you five hours to do because he'll be like, oh, I've got to go to work. I just need to do this. And oh, work's really grinding me down right now. Oh, my family need me. And you'll be back. Let's just save it off. Come back next week, do another like half a move and then move on. Right. Um, now, since we were last on, I don't know if you guys want to talk about this, but the FAQ dropped. Yes. Yeah, that is. Do that we is have a factual? That's a factual. That statement. is a factual statement. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Um, my two cents is nothing has changed. They will clarify the wording. I mean, try. The idea is that the moving to fit and moving to make an illegal charge legal is not are completely different. So I read. I read and. Uh, I'm not going to be like I read and I know because I've talked to whatever the case is. But the thing is, I think you you move to fit so that the other unit once aligned has room to fit, but you don't move to allow their room to make a legal charge. So that's how I'm playing it still in my games. I don't know what yeah, you guys nothing think. Has changed. Nothing has Which changed. Which was the rule anyway, so why did it need yes. a word update? Uh. I think they're trying to clarify it, which ended up muddying the waters, and then there was some other muddying going on on Facebook. But I think nothing has changed. It's we're playing it the exact same way we've been playing it for the last few years. So I don't think. And what do you guys think about? So there's been a bit of chat about obviously Morgoth. Well, is it really a nerf, or you got a light tap on the bum with the stick? 
you know, so there's a bit of argument about if you're going to do that with one, why not do it with other units? Do you think it should have all just waited until Clash of Kings? I think ostensibly they're saying this was a typo or a mistake in like from test versions. So I don't know about the other, the other living legends are maybe just straight up balance issues that they'll have to address in supplements. I think I've heard more complaining about Morgoth, the, you know, unbreakable, ridiculous than any other character. So I think it's fine. Look, you know, it's, it's, they're the rules committee. If they want to balance things, they balance things. It's, I don't have an issue. And it's not really for us to sit there and whinge about it, frankly. It's, you know, we play the game and um, nothing is broken. It's still the game that it is. And I think the rules committee take a lot of crap. Um, they could probably do with clarifying the communication lines to avoid some of the kind of, because we've got a lot of rules lawyers that have popped up and love to chat about, oh, you're the wording of this. And I'm very tired of, of people doing that. And frankly, you know, get a life. It's just, a, it's, it's just a rules clarification. It's not worth getting that upset about. Um, yeah. It's there. It's, you know, they're the rules committee. It's essentially, they are writing the rules and it's their job to do what they think is best. And I don't really have an issue with that. No, and I think you're exactly right. And I think that you can look at it in two ways, right? One, we're, we're all lucky that we have, uh, the, I mean, they do get store credit or they get Manta credit, but basically we have a group of people who work for free to try to make the game as great as possible for all of us. That is amazing, right? That being said, it doesn't mean that we can't all come together and try to look at ways for us to to make things better collectively. So I definitely think I know they floated some some ideas and maybe the rules committee having its own Facebook page so that it can archive responses and so that instead of having different people from the rules committee responding to threads, instead the the rules committee Facebook account responds to threads. So maybe they work on getting the messaging just a little clearer so we don't have in the same thread two members of the rules committee saying opposite things. So, I mean, I think that that's a fair uh, critique or suggestion that we can make to the rules committee. And I think you can make that in underneath the umbrella of where you guys do awesome work and we're so thankful for to you, to you and we're appreciative of everything that you do. But this might be a good idea to look at maybe working on getting your communication clear. I mean, is that fair to you guys to be able – you can say both. You can be thankful but also give a suggestion. Well, well I think that was part of the recent problem, right? It was that it uh, it was – part of the chat after wasn't that clear um, with the with the whole charge thing. But, yeah, I think that's totally right. I mean, I certainly wouldn't want to be one of them. I mean, the, the amount of questions they get and have to respond to, no, yeah. amantic, mantic, no amount of mantic store credit would be enough for me, I don't think. I think as long as we're respectful, you could be critical and supportive at the same time. Like, that's that's part of being supportive is being, being critical in a constructive manner as opposed to attacking them and being disrespectful. Yeah, so that's just where I would like to see it go is like, you know, uh, be able to be thankful and appreciative for everything that they do because those guys work so hard. And again, hats off to them, to the entire rules committee for everything that you do. And then also, you know, always be growing, always be moving forward. And I think working on getting their messaging a little more concise, I think would not only be good for us, but I think it will be less hassle for them. Right. So they won't have to deal with all this stuff because I think Steve's right. I think there's going to be people in the social, you know, social media environment who their second favorite hobby after doing miniature gaming is being professionally outraged and upset. You know, that's like their second favorite hobby after painting models, you know? Yep. And it's hard to deal with that sort of people. So, um, 
Yeah. So I think it was fine. I mean, we all know Morgoth was probably was too good. I mean, even with him, just look at the statistics for the uh, tournament. You know, Undead is squarely in first place with win percentage. So yeah. um, And like, was it eight out of nine Undead lists that Masters had Morgoth in them? So it's, you know, I think I think he's still a very useful tool. He's still like if you if you tool up a Lich King to like be similar, he's way more. So it's like he's still a good deal. He's still good at what he does. He's a little less amazing, but I think now he's still have great. A, I think still great. Yeah, but now you have a discussion to have. It's like, do I take two or three necromancers? Do I take a necromancer and a vampire? Like now there are the discussion is opened up for more options that are equally good or at least close to as good, which is only good for as it gets better for list variety. And that's another thing I've, I really, really liked about Call to Arms because before Call to Arms, right, people have been saying, this list is rubbish, there's nothing good here, blah, 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 blah. Was Twilight Kin are terrible, Rat Kin saves a pointless, right? What this tournament has allowed us to see is the archetypes from different people's uh, trying things out means, I don't think there's any weak armies anymore. You know, I have, I am on a major Twilight Kin love fest. I think they're amazing and really, really strong. They've just won an online tournament here in the UK, beating Dan King, right? So, you know, to to first place. Um, and there's been some racking slave lists that have done really, really well. So I don't think there's any weak list. And what this has allowed people to do is to experiment with lists they don't have the models for. And it's really shown the balance of the game. Yes, Undead are still broken and totally overpowered and people playing them should be banned. But all the other lists, you know, I think there's viable builds and I think that's really cool. So that's a really nice thing that's come out of Call to Arms. I think it's just like coming out of the ed- first new edition, people were just like they had tunnel vision. They wanted things that they worked in second to continue working, or and they didn't. But this has created an environment where like all the different you know weird ideas can be practiced and like put into like you know put in put to put to the test. So it's like I think you're right. It's awesome for the, just every army, and the more people are getting the chance to play more different armies, so you can find your the style of list that fits you as opposed to just like playing what you have and you're like, Oh, it doesn't quite fit my style, but I don't have anything paint, anything else painted. Now you can actually try and find that army that fits your style. No, I completely agree. It's really wide open. You know, we were on last night, uh, Garrett and Mercier and Rashad, like just spitballing lists. And it's like, there's so much like richness in the game right now to make different lists and like Steve said, you know, I mean, any list can win on any given day. So um, it's been really a good time to be playing, I think. Um, and then we've also made some changes. You know, I know um, we, a couple people have been on. We're exploring using the new Facebook rooms as an option for After Dark uh, over Google Hangouts. You know, in the past, we've had some issues with people getting onto Google Hangouts from different cell phone platforms has been an issue. And I guess the one benefit of the Google, of the Facebook room is when you go into the After Dark Facebook group, you can see if anyone's in the room, who's there. It's a little easy to join. Um, I know, Matt, you've been on. What, what uh, I'm not sure if Alex has tried yet. What are your guys' thoughts so far on moving away from the Google Hangouts into the Facebook room for After Dark? Um, I, I really like the ease of getting in. So as soon as there's a room going up, um, I mean, it's the only group I'm part of that does it. So it, it'll say it at the stop of my, at the top, sorry, of my browser feed. So you can see that there's people in there. You can click it. You can see who's in there. And then it's as simple as just entering the room and dropping in. You know, I, I haven't had much time to get in and actually hobby, but I like like just popping in for 10 minutes and saying hello while I'm, you know, driving to work or something like that. Um, I think the ease of use, whereas before I'd have to, 
you know, go and find the link to the Google Hangout. So I think ease of access is just a little bit better. Um, we haven't had a, we haven't, I don't think that I've been in at a time where there's been more than five or six yet. So it'd be interesting to see if it gets a bit unwieldy when we get more people in there. Yeah, I think it's it's been pretty easy to use. I've used, I think, done two two calls with it so far. And yeah, it's pretty straightforward. And like, since the, it's already, like After Dark's already a Facebook group, it it's a little easier to transition into the, the group chat for that, uh, as opposed to going through and then uh, finding the the Google Hangout link and uh, yeah, it, it works better with your phone. Like I found like, the Google Hangout doesn't always work with my phone, and I have to do it in a very specific way, and sometimes it just doesn't work. So it's it's a little more, a little less pain painful to do on the phone. Yeah, so I think we're going to keep trying that. Um, that's been my sense is that the ease of access and the technical troubleshooting is a little easier. It will be interesting. I think that the magic of After Dark is like in the four to seven people range. And I think if you get more beyond that, it can become unwieldy. But um, it's been great as far as uh, hobbying. And then, like Matt said, a good place to come and hang out are if there's a big UB game going on, people will just get on and, like, do their own commentating, you know, while they're yeah. watching while they're watching the UB game. And, again, it's just more ways for us to stay connected during this, uh, during this lockdown. So awesome. So we're, we're going to keep running with that. Depending on those who are, who are trying the Facebook group uh, – for uh after dark you have any thoughts you like it don't like it or whatever just leave us a post or shoot me a direct message you know i think we're just trying to always be improving and make after dark as accessible for everyone as possible so i can now do it for tonight so until next time keep counter charging thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on counter charge Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.